you know, but he really prompted me to want to create. To me, the finest, as as, a, as an artist myself and a, as a creative, the highest praise I can put upon another work of art is that it inspires me to run off and create something myself. And Bradbury did that. And, and so I started writing. I'm Peter Creighton, and welcome to The Looking Glass, a program that examines the stories behind personal interests. Have you ever had a book literally jump off the shelf at you and scream, read me? It happened to me recently. I was in my local branch of the Chicago Public Library. While I was wandering around, I suddenly saw a book jump off the shelf and scream, read me. The book was The Bradbury Chronicles, The Life of Ray Bradbury. Now, it wasn't until very recently that I became interested in learning more about the life of Ray Bradbury. Like every high school student in America, I read Fahrenheit 451 in one of my English classes, and I pretty much enjoyed it. It wasn't until recently, when I reread Fahrenheit 451, that I got it and became really interested in Bradbury's writing. I also wanted to learn more about Bradbury the person, but my search for knowledge never extended past a basic Google search. This all changed once I saw this book. I took the chance and read the book, and I must say that it's absolutely phenomenal. After finishing it, I literally feel like I knew Bradbury the person. This, of course, is caused by the incredible writing of the book's author, Sam Weller. A lifelong Bradbury fan, his passion for Bradbury's work is infectious and made me want to read as much as I can of Bradbury's work. On closer review of the Bradbury Chronicles dust jacket, I learned that Weller was based in Chicago. So I reached out to him to discover how he fell in love with the work of Ray Bradbury. I called this entry the Bradbury Chronicler. This is Sam Weller. I am the authorized biographer of Ray Bradbury, the legendary science fiction and fantasy writer. And I am also an associate professor in the Department of Creative Writing at Columbia College, Chicago. As Weller notes in the Bradbury Chronicles, his parents first introduced him to Bradbury's work. Like so many of us, our parents are usually the ones who introduce us to some of our earliest loves in life. Here, Weller recalls how, at a very early age, his dad first introduced him to Bradbury's work. You know, I, I encountered him in utero. My dad loved Bradbury uh, as a young man and read Bradbury's short story collection, The Illustrated Man, to my mother when she was eight, nine months pregnant with me. And he would read those stories aloud to her. It's kind of a weird book to read to a pregnant woman because it's really frightening and nightmarish at times. But uh, they both loved Bradbury, you know. And so you know, I, I discovered him really for myself when I was a, a young adult reader, fell in love with his short stories. I mean, I think of all the things that Bradbury did over the years, from film to television to dramatic radio, um, obviously literature, poetry, essays. I think his strongest artistic pursuit uh, was came through his short stories and those I discovered those you know when I was 11 or 12 and just fell in love with the ideas I mean they're they're absolutely wondrous there's a misconception about Bradbury most think of him only as a science fiction writer 
While it is true that many of his stories take place on Mars, in outer space, or concern the fantastic, Bradbury's work is actually much closer to home. He mainly focuses on the human condition. It was this focus on the human condition that spoke to Weller the most. I gravitated towards Bradbury's work initially, one, because the ideas are, are as I said, are unforgettable. They're almost cinematic. They're very highly conceptual. Um, you can describe most of his stories in sort of a, in a, in a log line, in a one-sentence kind of elevator pitch, and they instantly grab you. They're almost, in many ways, contemporary versions of Egyptian or Chinese or Norse mythology. I mean, these things are, have morals to them. They're 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 unforgettable, and so that was the first thing. But so that Bradbury was not as much a genre writer as he was a humanist, and his stories are intrinsically drenched in examining the human condition, as you said. You know, it's just they're, they're filled with heart, and many of them are filled with sorrow, melancholy, and I, I really. Particularly as a teen reader, you know, in, in your adolescent years, when you're grappling with confusion and loneliness, and not really sure what the hell's going on in your life, Bradbury speaks to you, and and he spoke to me. And there's an interesting dance with melancholy in his work, where he recognizes the beauty in sorrow and the beauty in in loneliness, even. And it's something that we none of us want to be steeped in for too long, loneliness or melancholy. But, but Bradbury, in some ways, is not afraid to, to dance near the flame of that. And I really connected with that. But I think you're right. I mean, you know, Edgar Allan Poe or Margaret Atwood, writers of that ilk are not deemed genre writers. They're deemed literary writers who dabble in genre. And Bradbury comes from that same rarefied shelf. You know, I think he's a he's a literary writer. He studied the literary masters and brought what he learned from them. And I'm talking about particularly Steinbeck, um, Emily Dickinson, Robert Frost, uh, Fitzgerald, Hemingway. What, he, he studied those writers and he he took over what he learned into writing stories of the fantastic. And those could be set on Mars. They could be set in a dystopian future. They could be set in, in small-town America, but all the while, it, he was always examining what it means to be human. As Weller dove more and more into the work of Ray Bradbury, he was soon inspired to follow his own passion and become a writer. This was largely influenced by his love of Bradbury. Weller recalls those first initial steps he took to become a professional writer, and how ultimately these steps would lead him to his literary hero. To me, the finest, as, as, a, as an artist myself and a, as a creative, the highest praise I can put upon another work of art is that it inspires me to run off and create something myself. And Bradbury did that. And, and so I started writing um, and quickly realized that the most practical sort of pursuit and I, this wasn't a conscious realization. I think it was a subconscious realization that I needed to find a way to make a living doing what I loved. And so I went into journalism, working for as, as an arts critic and then as a reporter, writing for a series of, of publications. I went on to become the Midwest correspondent for Publishers Weekly magazine for about four years. Uh, and then 
in 2000, I was freelancing very heavily for the Chicago Tribune. I mean, just regularly contributing uh, cover stories to their Sunday magazine. And I knew that Ray Bradbury was turning 80 that year. It was 2000. Um, you know, he was born in Illinois. He's arguably one of our most famous literary native sons. Uh, and I thought, you know, what what a great opportunity to, to perhaps profile him. I pitched the the story to my editor, who still is at the Tribune today, and she gave it the, the proverbial green light, and, and I went off to Los Angeles, where uh, Bradbury lived uh, since the age of 13, went to his house, and we just hit it off. I mean, it was just a magical first encounter. Uh, the interview lasted six hours. Uh, he was excitable. He, he was uh, filled with childlike wonder, and, and I found that to be even more miraculous because he had suffered a pretty severe stroke six months prior to our, our initial interview, and he was really in recovery mode. He'd lost 67 pounds. Um, he lost a great deal of his motor skills. He's going through physical therapy. But I still encountered, I mean, an absolute juggernaut of enthusiasm and a passion and fire for and desire to want to continue to create. I mean, I think that that was the solid rocket fuel, if you will, that propelled him through his entire life. And it was this intrinsic, almost spiritual need to be creative. And that was the man I encountered. That was um, Memorial Day weekend 2000. Um, and I left that first interview, and, and before the door closed, he said, do me a favor, please come back. Uh, and I, you know, was struck by those words. You don't hear that very often from, from someone particularly of that stature when you're doing an interview. And so I followed up on it. And a few months later, I went back to Los Angeles and we had lunch. He took me to a play of his that he had produced. And we just started this, this relationship, which just gradually and very organically turned into uh, the first book and, and my role as his biographer. Let's take a moment to reflect on what Weller just said. Sam Weller, whose father read The Illustrated Man to his mother while she was pregnant with him, not only meets his hero, but is asked to come back. Sometimes, our heroes can and do live up to the hype. I've interviewed a lot of people who I've been really fascinated by over the years and, and marveled at their life story, and the vast majority of the time, they don't live up to patience. I mean, it's almost impossible for somebody to live up to when you when you have that in your heart, embedded in their in your heart, your whole life. In the case of Bradbury, for me, who can possibly live up to that? And he did, you know. And and that's not to say that the man wasn't flawed. Um, you know, he was human, and and that's what he addressed in all of his stories. But he he was just. I stopped, and for the thousands of hours I spent with him, days and days and days and years, um, I, I, and now that he's been gone almost five years this June, if I think about it, it almost seems like he is. He's a Shakespeare, or he's a Hemingway, or he's a Mary Shelley, or a Poe. I mean, it's almost like he's this mythic literary figure and not a real man, and then I stop and think, no, I spent all that time with him. I mean, he'd call me late at night. You know, and we'd talk. He'd send me faxes. He'd send me artwork. 
he was very much a real person, but sometimes it almost just doesn't seem seem real to me, the memories. And as the days continue to sort of distance me from his life on this earth, it becomes more dreamlike and surreal. As time progressed, Ray Bradbury and Sam Wellow's relationship continued to grow. As their friendship grew and they spent more and more time together, Bradbury himself approached Weller with a once-in-a-lifetime request. The first story came out, the feature story came out in the Tribune, and, and he read it and called me very late at night. He was a night owl. He would stay up and watch old movies. And he called me and he said, you know, I've, I've just read your book, your, your, your magazine story, and you, young man, are a beautiful writer. <laughs> you know, I, I, I never forget standing there on the telephone hearing, you know, this incredible mentor, this creative force, tell me that, that I was a good writer. I mean, all writers yearn for that sort of affirmation and to get it from, from Ray Bradbury was, was incredible. And he said, now, when are you coming back? So I flew back and, and we went out to lunch and he kept saying, okay, your story came out in the Tribune. I loved it. It, it told my story with such enthusiasm and energy. Um, keep, keep taking notes and asking me questions and bring your tape recorder. And I thought that was curious because my story was done, but he wanted me to continue to interview him and document his philosophies, his opinions. That was very important to him. And so I visited him two or three more times uh, the year that that initial story came out and continued to interview him. I I wrote a few more stories for, for other publications about him. And I knew in the back of my mind that and there's no book on this guy. There was no biography. There was no official biography, as you said, of his life. And his life was fantastic, and it goes so far beyond just the books. I mean, the people he encountered are the touchstones of 20th century history. I mean, from the Apollo astronauts to, as a child, he knew Civil War veterans. He, he, he knew Walt Disney. He, he just he, he crossed paths with so many of the the lions of 20th century popular culture through his long and incredible life. And I thought, why is there no book that, that tells this fantastic life story? And he laughed and he said, you know, a biography means you're dead. He said, it's the life story. And he said, you know, I just turned 80. I've recovered from a stroke and I've got, I've got a good many years still left in me. He said, if you want to write a biography, call me in 30 or 35 years. And he laughed. But after about five more months, of us continuing to stay in touch, me visiting him, visiting him periodically. He had a change of heart. We were at a restaurant in Santa Monica called the Pacific Dining Car, which he just loved. It was old sort of L.A. steakhouse. And he said, you know, I've given some thought to this idea of you doing a book. And he said, I, I act upon intuition, and my intuition says you're the perfect person to write this. So I want you to go ahead and write this book. And again, that was another one of those windfall moments where he had he had said, become my biographer. And we went home that day, and he told his wife of more than half a century, he said, this, this young man is going to write a, a great book on my life. And that is when the journey began. Sam Weller's journey as Ray Bradbury's official biographer had begun. Now came the hard part, researching and writing the biography. While researching Bradbury's life, Weller discovered a very surprising aspect of Bradbury the man. I went through this initial period where I, I wondered whether he was mythologizing his own life and 
remembering things using his own incredible imagination. But that each time I went out to verify the story and to dig around, nine times out of ten, I, I found that he had things absolutely correct, dates, times, locations. And that really led me to marvel at, at his memory. I mean, this man could recall... He, he, you know, as I've said in the past to other interviewers, and I think in one of my books, he's he was almost like a walking internet movie database of film history. For example, he could tell you who who did the lighting on a movie from 1949. He could tell you who the assistant director was, and I, I would go and, and look it up, and he was right. And I just learned to marvel at his his memory. His memory was beyond photographic. I mean, it was it was almost uh, supernatural. Throughout the entire writing process, Weller kept one goal at the forefront of his mind. It was really important for me to try to magically get his DNA, his fingerprints, his life energy onto the page. So when people picked that book up, it was almost as if they had their hand on his shoulder. And, and I didn't know whether that would be possible, but I think, again... Part of the reason he, he agreed to let me do it was that we have very similar sorts of enthusiasms. He said very early on in our relationship, he said, you're an enthusiast. And he said, all my life, I've been an enthusiast. And I think it, it was natural for me to be able to reflect his life enthusiasm in the page because in many ways I have the same sort of ethos and, and approach to living. And so that was super important for me. And, and uh, you know, I have another book that came out in 2010, that is just the two of us in conversation. It's a book of interviews, and he, even even more so perhaps in that book, because it's just Bradbury unfiltered talking. I think you get a real sense of the man. I wanted people to open these books up and feel like he's there telling them these stories. The second book that Weller mentions is Listen to the Echoes, the Ray Bradbury interviews. Weller describes how this second book came about. In around 2008, a publisher approached me about uh, about all of my interviews and said, you know, what percentage of your interviews that you did with Bradbury did you use in the Bradbury Chronicles? And, I mean, I spent five years working with him before that first book came out, and I, I probably at most used only 10% of the conversations. And that was challenging. You have to make a decision of what stays and what goes and what's vital. And so when this publisher called me, Melville House, had an imprint with a magazine company or a magazine called Stop Smiling, and they were working together on a series of books. And they called and said, "Do you have a lot of unreleased interviews with him?" And I said, "Most of it's unreleased." And so I, I contracted to write a book um, of interviews with him, and it's organized thematically. So it's it's Bradbury. Each chapter is, is on a different theme. So it's Bradbury on Hollywood, Bradbury on faith. Bradbury on creativity, spirituality, sexuality, politics, and so on. It's really Bradbury sharing memories and his opinions and philosophies. So the book came out in 2010. It did very well. But one of my disappointments all along with the book was that it was it was a it was a trade paperback and. Bradbury was a pack rat. He saved everything, and he was a collector of, his, as he would say, metaphors. He saved everything and had a lot of really cool things in his home. I brought a photographer in, and she photographed the house um, and, his, and his belongings, and each chapter 
opened with what we envisioned as a still life of Bradburyana, of his ephemera, of his memories, uh, that would somehow connect to the chapter. And one of the disappointments with the book, really the only disappointment with the book, because I love that book, it was that those pictures were reprinted in black and white, and they're gorgeous in color, and, and I always wanted them in color. And so now a new opportunity has come up. Uh, Hatton Beard is an art book publisher out of Los Angeles and said, would you like to re-release a new edition of Listen to the Echoes, the Ray Bradbury interviews, as a, as a deluxe hardcover art book with all the photos in color, new photographs from my files of ephemera, letters, photos of Bradbury through the years. There's a new chapter of outtake interviews in the back. Margaret Atwood, the great literary writer, has written a beautiful essay. Uh, Frank Darabont, the director and writer of Shawshank Redemption, has written a beautiful essay. And so that book comes out this spring, and I'm really excited about it. I mean, it's hardcover. There's going to be a, a very limited deluxe edition signed by all those contributors and myself. And it, it's it's an art book, and, and the best way to get a hold of it is just to, to buy it directly from the publisher at Hatton Beard. And the cover is foil stamped, so the, the trade edition is silver. Um, a beautiful picture of Ray on the cover, and the deluxe edition, the limited edition, is a, is a foil stamp gold. I mean, it's just going to be an absolute beautiful, beautiful book. I've worked really hard on it. It's been an absolute labor of love, and it's it's absolutely You know, the book, I really, you know, I'm really, really proud of it. After writing about Ray Bradbury since the early 2000s, it was time for Weller to take a different direction for his writing, one in which Bradbury himself encouraged him to do. I I love to write. and I I teach creative writing at Columbia College Chicago, and, you know, writing is, is my life. I mean, completely, from the minute I get up pretty much to the minute I go to bed, and storytelling, and... I, I love both nonfiction and fiction. So my own goals now, and this is something that you know Ray really wanted for me now, is after all the books I've done on him, he really wanted me to pursue carrying on his tradition of storytelling and writing more fiction. And I've published a lot of short stories over the years, and most of them are steeped in one way or another in the Bradbury tradition. There's an element of the fantastic. There's a el- strong element of humanity and heart. Um, and so I have a short story collection called The Shadows Behind the Trees, which is done, and it's all, I would say, very well connected to Bradbury's early book, The October Country. It's all sort of similar to that. And then I have a novel that I'm working on right now that I'm almost halfway finished with that is also, I would say, Ray Bradbury meets Alice in Wonderland. And that book I hope to have done within the year, and I will have my agent shop the two of those books together, the novel and the um, the short story collection. And then after that, I'll probably go back to nonfiction again, but I need to tread carefully because I'm not going to find you know, a subject that I, I've known since before I was born. Sam Weller was inspired to become a writer because of his love and passion of Ray Bradbury's works. His passion for writing and storytelling is truly infectious. For those looking to explore their own passion for writing, Weller has a few suggestions. The most important thing is you have to be totally passionate about it. You have to totally love it. Bradbury's quote that he said the most probably towards the end of his life was, do what you love and love what you do, and success will follow because of your passion. And I'm a huge believer that 
You know, if you're not in love with the act of writing, if you're not just called to your computer or your journal or whatever you write in, if you're not called to it in a, in a, in a mystical way, then don't do it. You have to have that. It, I have to be a writer mentality in order to publish, in order to get your work out there. It's not easy. It, it takes a huge amount of dedication. It takes a huge amount of patience to write a book, follow through, and make it pro- professional and polished. I mean, it's just it, patience is very important, and so you have to be utterly passionate about it, and, and that's the only thing that's going to propel you to have the, the follow-through that's needed. As a young man, Sam Weller fell in love with the work of Ray Bradbury. It inspired him to follow his own passion for writing and storytelling. Little did he know that his passion for writing would lead him to Bradbury himself and into becoming his official biographer. If there is one takeaway from all of this, I think it's this. The next time a book jumps off the shelf at you and screams, Read me! Do it. You never know what journey it may set you on. This edition of The Looking Glass was written, recorded, and edited by Peter Creighton. The Looking Glass was created by Steven Anderson and me, Peter Creighton. A special thanks goes out to Sam Weller. For more information on Sam Weller, please visit his official website at samweller.net. To purchase a copy of Listen to the Echoes, please visit hatandbeardpress.com. For more information on The Looking Glass, please visit our SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com slash lookingglasspodcast. You can also email the show at thelookingglasspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Peter Creighton, and cheers. Cheers.